from the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 29th, 2021. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We should let the listeners know that we are recording this under a tornado warning. <laughs> until 5 o'clock. So, I mean, we are dedicated. We're putting our lives on the line for the Anti-Up Nation today. Yeah, I'm Bill Pullman, and you're Helen Hunt, so... <laughs> Cow. Not Bill Pullman. Why do you keep getting them mixed up? It's 15 years later, Scott. I know, and that guy's dead, too. I really should I get know. his name. Give him some respect. <laughs> but I like it when the cow goes by, and you're like, cow. Another one. cow. Nope, same guy. <laughs> I always said that's like the job I would do if I could start over chasing tornadoes, you know. Who wouldn't want to do that? I know. Get to hang out with Helen Hunt all day? Perfect. Uh, I don't know about that part, but yeah. (laughs) I like seeing the cows and the houses and stuff get ripped up. and I've never seen a live tornado. I've seen water spouts. You know, I've never seen one in front of me, and I've always wanted to, so. Uh, Uh, I haven't seen one either, so maybe our dream will come true today in the middle of the show. (laughs) All right, fingers crossed. All right, we're almost half the way, halfway, half of the way, half of the way, halfway, halfway Either through. Way. Take of the out of it. We're almost okay. halfway through. We're almost halfway through the World Series of Poker, and here are this week's updates. Michael Adamo won event thirty-eight, the fifty k high roller for his third career bracelet, beating Justin Bonomo heads up. Eric Seidel also made the final table. Didn't give me a shout out either, by oh, the way. Oh man, what the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> Josh Aria won event 39, the $1,500 PLO for his third career bracelet in a final table featuring two other bracelet winners. Bradley Rubin won event 42, $1,500 Raz for his third career bracelet. There's a theme going on here. Yeah, jeez. And he said it was probably his only, only his third career Raz tournament. And finally, Tommy Lee won event 45, the 10K PLO. It's the second time he has won that event. This week's not as sexy as last week, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah we, we we didn't have any meat and uh, juicy stuff to talk about today. It's just a lot of like, whoa, you guys are great poker players. <laughs> I mean, so. you know, uh, Bradley Rubin's got nothing on me. I won my first RAS tournament. So. That's right, yes. So there you go. Um, but, you know, uh, just that kind of thing shows you that, you know, as long as you know how to play poker, you know what I mean, you can play any event. You just You just convert, you know, whatever you've learned from other disciplines into that so you know there's always that famous story of jennifer Harmon getting a lesson in the in the parking lot from like howard letterer or something like that right well how to play deuce of seven she goes in and wins the bracelet yeah right. so i mean you never know um raz is probably the easiest one to pick up too i think yeah. oh, oh, yeah, assuming you played stud if you haven't played stud then you're probably all kinds of messed up but yeah, if you play yeah. stud, raz is, is the easiest one to learn just because of you know, the mechanics of it, um, you know, the, it, it's much easier to put people on hands in Raz than it is in Stud when, you know, they could have that miracle straight flush and be buried. So, uh, but still, um, impressive. I mean, it, it's always a one that I would love to play. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, our good friend John Lanier that we lost several years ago, he, uh, he, he became a really good Raz player. That's what he said, is that it, it's it's a game that if you commit yourself to it, you can learn it pretty well, pretty quickly. So And, and make a lot of money at it, because a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Exactly. Um, yeah. and that, that was when I when I cashed in the, the World Series horse event that time. I, I 
really capitalized on the people at the table. I had no idea how to play that game. That's where you built a lot of your stack up. You know, that and limit hold them too. A lot of them don't understand limit. They try to, you know, protect their ace ace when they know that the board's got four flush and four to a straight on it. There's no betting, you know, so they don't understand limit either. But yeah, Raz was the big one. That's where you could really expose a lot of people. Um, and that, we loved it. We, we, that used to be our, our mantra. Let's play Raz. We had buttons made up and everything. Yep. You know, it used to be our thing, but um, I've never hated Raz. Everybody else has hated Raz at some point. I've never had. I've always loved it. So. No, it's fun. I mean, and and there there is some. You know, the uh, you got to get the uh, incomplete information, but there's not a lot in Raz. It's still incomplete because there's three cards down by the end. But it's hard to really, you know, there's only so many hands you can have. Whereas, you know, some regular stud, you could have all kinds of stuff in the hole there and and make all kinds of hands out of it, but. So Raz is a fun game. That's the and that's obviously the article that I wrote for our magazine back in the day, teaching your grand my granddaughter when she was like five, because that's it's something they can learn. It's a number to them. That's all they have to do is make the smallest number, you know. So it's a good game to learn on too, for especially for stud Plus, stuff. Straight smoke count, so yeah. you take all the stuff out of it. Yes. Yeah. So it's a simple game, hard to master, like all of them, yeah. right? But, yeah. Uh, so so this I mean three three career brace of people in this past week. Yeah. Uh, had a couple other uh, earlier in the series, and Zeno's led. I think is fourth now, and of course Tommy's on sixteenth. So, um, you know, you talk about these uh, records that that'll never be broken, like DiMaggio and Cy Young and stuff like that. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, what what the chances are. I'm not saying it's impossible. What the chances are that someone catches a Phil Home youth now? Well, he's not done playing. It, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So he he may add twenty. You know, he may get a twenty, and then. You know, we talked about no one ever thought they were going to catch Jack Nicholas, and they still aren't because Tiger keeps speeding around corners and breaking his leg. But, um, you know, if he hadn't screwed up in the beginning and gotten in all that trouble he had, he might have caught him, but he didn't. And same thing here. I mean, you can put together some decent numbers right now because there's so many events out there for you to play. But, you know, you still have to win. You know, if you have three, you still have to win 13 more to catch him, and he's still playing, so... I don't know. It's interesting because the numbers, when we first started in poker, you know, where we were publicly letting people know we played and had a show like this and stuff, you know, the numbers were like, Brunson had like nine, you know, or something, and and people had like eight, and Johnny had like eight or nine, and it was like, okay, you know, it took them 20 years to get nine because there were only 15, 20 events or something, and they didn't play that many. They were more interested in cash games. Now there's 100 events a year, you know, and if you can go over to Europe and try to win them, they're going to count those too, and now you can go online, they're going to count those too, so there's so many more opportunities to win, you know, some of these people are on their third or fourth bracelets, and I haven't even heard of them yet, you know, yeah. so it, it's possible, but longevity is, you know, think about how many poker players right now come up on your LinkedIn feed as lawyers and accountants, you know, yeah. and they were they were the people that we were dying to interview or be around when we first started the show and started the magazine, and now they're out of the business. So it's going to be tough to catch him, um, but I don't say it's impossible. I don't think it's like, you know, the rushing record of you know Emmett Smith. You know, I mean, it, it's 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 going to be it's going to be tough. But I think someone could catch him, especially if they start young enough and really stay passionate about it and stay in the business. You know, that's that's the hard part: longevity. Well, and the other thing you think of, I mean, we. Uh, not every year do we get a double bracelet winner. I mean, I think last the last series we never we didn't get one the entire series. Uh, this time, you know, we have 
couple already. Um, but just the that how difficult it is to win two bracelets a year. So I mean, now you're talking if you can pull off that feat, which is already difficult, it would take you eight eight years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, to, to catch, help me if this he doesn't win any in the next eight years, which is impossible. So, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's impressive. And when you look at Aria, right? I mean, it's his third one. He's been a pro forever, but I think, didn't he, didn't they say something in the story about him winning one in each decade or the last three decades or something? Oh, step Aria, yeah, that's the case. That's impressive. That's, yeah. that's shared stuff there, man. Yeah, I think it was him. It might have been another player who did the same thing, but it, anyway, there was a player out there who won one bracelet per decade and it, you know, it took him forever to win his first one. And then when he did, he took 10 years to win the next one and 10 to win the next one. So it's difficult when you think about the size of the fields, do they, you know, do they trump the size of or the, the amount of uh, events that they're available to play in, you know, cause it's okay. So there's more events, but there's way more people too. So right. it's right. an interesting discussion. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think in our lifetime, you know, I don't think in our lifetime, someone's going to catch him. But maybe, maybe, you know. We'll see. Well, the other interesting thing uh, I saw this week, Poker News did their halfway through um, World Series recap, and all of it we've already talked about except for one, the fact that uh, COVID really has not been an issue this year. Yeah, that's the great. Numbers, numbers for people, people are showing up, playing, no one's complaining uh, about it, uh, no, no mass outbreaks, uh, no events have been canceled or delayed or anything like that, so... That's that's kind of interesting. We're halfway through, and you know that that shoe that everybody thought might drop at some point is still hanging. So it's great. I mean, and I mean that's I guess a testament to either people respecting it uh, and doing what what they're asking them to do, or just what they put in place. You know, it, maybe it's 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 enough. You know, maybe it's enough to keep everyone safe and healthy. But it's great. It's great news. It's not. Um, we're not condemning it at all. That you know that they held this thing. So. The fact that they did it and there's no problems, no issues, means that you know they probably they might have done the right thing here, and good for them and good for the players. And it's also um, also speaks to some a little bit of overreaction too. I mean, that's not a criticism. I mean, we're all trying to be careful with this, or most of us are trying to be careful with this. But but there's an element of overreaction about it, right? That you, uh, I still have friends that aren't leaving their house. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, so. Yeah. There's a bit of like over about it as well too, and, and you build it up, and then it, it actually meets proper expectations rather than the trumped up expectations. So. Well, there's it's understandable. I mean, when you look at what we did publicly in our magazine, saying, "Hey, don't worry about it. The flu killed more people than this thing," and now look at how we feel now about that. If we can go back in time, we would not have written that. You know, so yep. it's understandable that people now are scared, and and I still, am, you know, I went to the store the other day to get some spark plugs for my wife's car. It was yesterday. And I went and had my mask on. Nobody had a mask on in the store. And I was like, should I not be wearing this now? Am I, is it over? Can I, you know, I, did, I, I just kept it on because it was just habit, you know, because I, you know, I'm double vaccinated and everything and I'm due for a booster. But, you know, I, I'm just, it's, it's understandable. You get scared by something and it's hard to, you know, it's like when you're a child and you're scared from a movie on TV that you weren't supposed to watch. And now the rest of your life, you're, you're going to be scared of Chucky or you're not going to be able to fall asleep at certain times or whatever. So it's understandable, right? Yep. All right, the World Series of Poker has announced the next circuit schedule, featuring 13 stops with more to be announced. Uh, schedule kicks off on Thanksgiving Day at Harris Cherokee in North Carolina and finishes at Harris New Orleans in May. This season, any winner, whether live or online, will be invited to the $1 million tournament of champions at next year's 
World Series of Poker. New venues this year include Iowa Casino Pompano Park right here in Florida, uh, Turning Stone Resort in New York, and Deerfoot Casino in Canada. When I looked at the list, I was going to say I'm surprised X isn't on it, but they <laughs> add them all the time, so those yeah. people could still be on it. So right now, it's an incomplete list. 13 stops is nothing. Usually it's like 25 or 26 by the end of the I mean, it used to be nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Overlapping. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, coming out of COVID now, and the, the, you know, not everybody's excited about having a tournament series quite yet. So, uh, But I imagine, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be adding more. So, uh, But it'll probably be 2023 before we see that pack schedule again. Yeah, so. yeah, I agree. But, uh, again, World Series just providing the content for us. Yes, right? <laughs> because there really isn't much else out there. I know. If they weren't around, I think the show would be off the air. <laughs> Next story is like the first non-World Series news I could find anywhere. <laughs> uh, Virginia's Office of the Inspector General is recommending limited powers for the state's charitable gaming board because one of the people on the board who helped draft rules for charitable poker rooms owns a charitable poker room himself. Chuck Lesson disclosed his ownership during the rules writing, but the Inspector General's office said he should have recused himself entirely from the rules writing. Lesson called the report, quote, outrageous and says he was not legally required to recuse himself. I got to tell you, well, one, the guy was the chairman, too. Like, he's, like, in charge of the whole thing. Um, (laughs) But we are really in an environment right now where people just don't follow ethics or the rules anymore, you know? And and it's it's been this way for about five years. I'm not saying why. (laughs) But, I mean, seriously, can can you recall a time when you were growing up or when you were a young adult and somebody just violated some massive ethics or even the law and then didn't follow the law and stepped down because they were so embarrassed by what they did and publicly shamed or whatever it is. Now everyone's like, well, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything wrong. This is fine. Yeah, I'm not paying attention to you. You know, I'm not listening to this cancel culture. I'm done. You know, well, this is outrageous to me. He said it was outrageous. It is outrageous that you did this. You're setting the rules, and you own the damn thing that you're doing it for. Uh, all right, so uh, I, I agree all along. Uh, the, the play devil's advocate, the other part of it that I think is interesting is uh, there is a case to be made that um, having somebody that understands what you're writing the rules about, helping you write the rules, is a good thing versus not. So... One of the things we've seen, particularly here in Florida, we don't have a gaming commission here in Florida, uh, which is a big miss. Um, but the folks that write the rules, they they don't have a gaming background at all. So a lot of the rules they write, no, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are occasions when the rules just don't make any sense. Um, there have been occasions with poker rules down here where they literally just picked up rules from New Jersey and... and it really cribbed them for yeah. rules down here yeah. without understanding what they are, and they didn't make sense down here. Um, so there, there is that element. Now, I don't think that you necessarily need to have somebody on the the board right. to do. That. I mean, you can you can have somebody advising you on it, but uh, but at that point, I don't know if it changes uh, the situation any. Right? I mean, if he's not on the board, but he's advising them. Well, he owns a room. It's not that much different, I don't think. So that that's an interesting part of this. Um, but the, the part that really got me was the he's not legally required to recuse himself. And I, this is the thing that I always get upset about. It's um, And we see this in poker, right? It's um, people like looking for a rule in poker rather than the spirit of the rule, yeah, right? Yeah. So, 
Um, just because you don't have to do something doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or it doesn't make sense for you to do it. So uh, that's that's the problem I have with this here is I go, show me the rules where I'm not allowed to write the rules for a room for something that I'm going to benefit from. <laughs> like, no, oh, maybe we shouldn't have to do that, right? No, I don't know. It's one uh, being angle shot is what it is. He's angle shooting because he's trying to say it's not illegal for me to be this way. Well, that, yeah, okay, we've had this conversation on the show dozens of times between ethics and legality, you know, an angle shot is is an angle shot. You're you're trying to take advantage of the system, when you know if you a, a good person wouldn't. Now, like you said, there's plenty of ways for this guy to be a consultant, but then you take what he suggests and you run it through a filter with a third party or someone else who says, okay, this guy suggested this, but he also owns the bar or the you know whatever the the charity room that's going to benefit from this. So should we use this as a rule? Is it a good use of a rule? Just because it benefits him, it'll benefit all owners. Um, you know, whatever. There's always somebody, there's always a third party that's willing to look at your suggestions or your laws or your rules or whatever and say, hey, okay, it's good this guy advised you, but here's why he wanted to do that. And does it really benefit him more than anyone else? Or whatever? There's easily, easily a way for you to have avoided this problem, and they, and they just didn't, you know. But to, to say it's outrageous, he's ridiculous. He's outrageous. And I don't think this changes much, but I wonder if he would have had less, if anybody would have even noticed had he just not opened his room until we, they, they were done with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's still the same thing. It, 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 it doesn't pass the smell test, but it, it, this one really stinks. <laughs> like yeah. He's open yeah. in the middle of while he's writing it. So um, the other thing I think is interesting, too, is Virginia's had such a tortured past with, right. with Poker. I mean, we've got a couple of listeners that every time there's a development, they send us an email and you know they had rooms and they got them shut down and now they have casinos coming so i'm wondering uh it's always interesting to me that they're now finally getting around to writing these rules when they have casinos coming um and you know that doesn't mean that these charity rooms can't survive but you know and, and i don't know whether these casinos have are planning on poker rooms so that would be a different story too but um it's just an interesting environment now that you've after all these years of fits and starts that you have both casinos and charity poker rooms launching at the same time. Yeah, we used to have a specific section in the magazine just for Virginia poker. Yeah. Where we had all those rooms and it was like we had a writer for it and everything and then it comes and goes and then they came out of the magazine. Now they're just a little part of the magazine and it's like, yeah, from whatever they're going through, they don't need any more of this, uh, you know, this, these problems. So, eh, yeah, you never know. Uh, any updates? Papes, the Annie Up Fans free online tournament series on PokerStars Play Money site is available everywhere. Details on how to join can be found at bit.ly slash P-A-I-P-S. Games are on the 6th, 16th, and 26th of every month and rotate disciplines with a main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours. Join the Annie Up Fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Check out our 11 vintage Antioch logo designs on merchandise at antiochmagazine.com slash shop. You can buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of Antioch Magazine, Antioch PokerCast, or Antioch Poker Tour logos. And if you have a hand of the week, a listener spotlight, or a call to floor submission, email us at podcast at antiochmagazine.com or post in the Antioch Fans group on Facebook. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com 
We'll have Rivers Casinos Connectedy Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. It's Gary Lance. He says, I run a free bar league where we use the big blind ante. Recently, I had a hand where the big blind was short-stacked and could only post the ante of 3K. Blinds were 1,500, 3K, 3K. A second player went all in for 2K, and a third player knocked both of them out. Which player would cash higher if this were a casino tournament? I assumed it'd be the 3K player, but others suggested it was the 2K player because the ante is being paid for the whole table. Uh, They also said the 3K player could only win the ante back, while the 2K player was eligible for 7K. 3K ante plus his 2K and the winner's 2K. All right, Elliot says, TDA rules say when two players are eliminated in the same hand at the same table, order of finish and placement is determined by stack size prior to the dealing of the hand. Under that rule, the player with the 3,000 chip stack would have the, would have the better finish and payout than the player with the 2,000 chip stack when they were eliminated in the hand you described. Your instincts were correct. The argument that the player posting the big blind ante has an effectively smaller stack than the other players at the table merely because they can't win as much as anyone else when all in for the amount of the ante is false and a bad technicality. Chip stack amounts are measurable and easily tracked, making them a fair and equitable metric to be used for the determination of place of finish. The potential amount eligible to be won is arbitrary and dependent on physical location of the players and the button. Seating is random at the start of the tournament and at all redraws of the fields. To take something like the rules governing seating of players that is meant to increase fairness and turn it into a weapon to be used against players in poor position at a table is almost a form of retribution against small stacks. Finally, when players who are new to the big blind ante complain, it is explained that the ante is not a penalty. It is the big blind's turn to take part in a shared responsibility. Well, if the big blind ante is not a penalty before the hand, then why should it potentially be a penalty after the hand? Yeah, it's, it's funny. When you first look at this, it kind of does make you kind of stop for a second and pause. But yes. then when you just think about it, it's like you still have 3K in front of you and you have 2K. It's not my problem that, you know, you paid the blind already. This is how much money I started the hand with. This is how much I can win and or whatever. But if you get knocked out and I get knocked out, I had more money than you when we started. So it doesn't matter. You paid your obligation before me. So it's it's common sense. But at the same time, and he, and he was right. Gary got it right. Um, but it does kind of make you raise your eyebrow for just a second. And then you, you think about it and you're yeah. good to go. And, and we knew this when the Big Blind Annie was first introduced and there were a lot of discussions about it because it was so new and, you know, people look for reasons not to like it, right? And they, they cite things. Uh, this is actually the first time I've seen this, which is kind of impressive. <laughs> it's been, what, four or five years since we've been doing the Big Blind Annie and uh, it's the first time I've seen this, this situation. But it's an anomaly, right? Yeah, so and that's yeah. the argument um, at all the poker TDA summits about this is, hey, folks, what you're arguing about is an anomaly. It's, it's not going to happen very often. And when it does, it, it's unfortunate if it doesn't, if, if the rules don't really make sense at that point. But in the aggregate, think of how many hands, how much easier, how quicker the tournament is now because you're not looking, uh, hey, we're short my Annie. Who, who Annie? Oh, I didn't Annie. You, did he, uh, he, he didn't Annie. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. Um, uh, if, you, if you think about that, how much better it is because of that now. The fact that we don't have those green 25 chips on the table for most tournaments now because you don't need them anymore. Uh, so there's fewer color-ups and things like that. I mean, it really has been one of the you know, the best things to happen in poker. Um, but, you know, like everything else that's good, there are a couple 
uh, weirdnesses about it, and you just have to, to get through it. So um, it was probably a good discussion that, that uh, Gary had at his league about this, and uh, and no one's really wrong. I mean, technically, I mean, obviously, we have a good ruling from Elliot on on what is correct, but um, but I, I wouldn't say anybody arguing the other way is arguing out of uh, malice or anything. It's it's just an interesting discussion to have. So. Yeah. Well, that's that's how rules get changed and updated, too, is when situations arise that you didn't think of when you thought your brain trust was going to come up with every scenario, and they didn't. Then you come up with a scenario that they're like, oh, I didn't think of that, and you fix it, and you move forward, and that's what happens. But in this case, this is the right, definitely the right call. We have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. And welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a $1, $2 deep stack no limit hold'em home game. The min buy-in is $200, max is $500, but most players buy in for the max. It plays more like a 2-5 game. We are six-handed. The blinds post, and we are under the gun with 700, up 200, and the seven of diamonds, six of diamonds. We limp. The MP folds, but everybody else calls. There's $10 in the pot, and the flop is the 9 of hearts, 8 of hearts, 5 of spades. The small blind and big blind both check, and it's up to us. We've just flopped the nuts, but there is a flush draw, higher straight draws, and potential sets that could fill up. No matter what, I never slow play a flop straight. We overbet the pot and make it $15 to go. The cutoff calls, but everybody else folds. The cutoff is a pretty decent player, but he can get tricky. He bought in for 500 and sits with around a starting stack. There's now $40 in the pot, and the turn is the deuce of spades. The backdoor spades are coming in, but we still have the nuts. We make a $30 bet, and our opponent quickly calls. There's now $100 in the pot, and the river is the queen of diamonds. Let's go for some value here. We make another $30 bet. This time, our opponent counts out 100 and slides it into the pot. So, did he catch us? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And uh, remember last week, John Urban sent in four hands, so this is the second of the four. And uh, in all these hands, he is playing 1-3 at a Maryland casino. All right. This hand, he says, the villain of this hand is extremely unpredictable. He, his moves and chip handling make him seem new to the game. He's been very active, overbetting the pot with both bluffs and value hands, calling big bets with bottom pair and donk betting weak hands. While he's unpredictable, he plays everything and doesn't like to fold. I start the hand with 430 Skittles, and the villain of this hand, who's sitting in the small blind, has me covered. It folds to us in the other the gun plus one with a seven of clubs, six of clubs. Uh, you know, I really am not a fan of playing these hands in early position. I like to play suited connectors uh, late position because I like to be able to manipulate the pot for my benefit. I like to be able to be the last one betting. Um, pot odds and all that is, is pretty important to suited connectors. I realize that when we played this game, you try to play the person when you're advanced, not the cards. But you're also playing position properly, and you're playing it in late position. Under the gun plus one, 
no matter how juicy 7-6 looks, unless I just want a massive pot and I want to get right back in there and kind of get some momentum or whatever you want to call it, I'm usually just, this is usually just fine in the muck. Unless it's a passive game where I know I can limp and pretty much everyone limps, you know, like you're at Derby Lane in the early 2000s and you're playing the $2 straight $2 game or something and you know you're going to see a flop. Uh, if that's not going to happen, if there's a potential for people to, like this guy's the villain, he said, it's unpredictable. So if there's potential for somebody to, to raise behind me and I'm going to have to just keep calling more and more money to see a flop with this with this hand, I'm probably just going to let it go. If it's one of those hands where we're all just kind of loose, but, you know, uh, we're not aggressive, we're just like to see a lot of hands, a lot of flops, and no one's really raising, then I might see a flop take a flyer. But... If I want to try to be aggressive with it and raise before the flop with it, and then I got unpredictable players behind me who might three bet me, and yeah, I'm just it's finding the muck quick. Uh, yeah, so again, I'm a tournament player. In tournaments, I love raising with, with this hand um, in this spot, uh, and that's why I'm not so great at cash games because cash games you you know you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you can sit there and wait for the right spots, right? Yeah. Uh, tournaments. You don't have that luxury. So the reason I like to raise with it in, in tournaments, and I talked about this on the show before too, that um, as you're teaching new players, you know, once you get the fundamentals down, right, and you you want them to, um, you know, start mixing up their game a little bit. Uh, suited connectors are where you start, I think, because that that's a good random trigger, right? Mm-hmm. You know, some remember a person used to say, hey, hey if my if the the second hand of my watch is at the bottom, then I raise, and if not, it's at the top, so, so you randomize it. Yeah. This is a good way of randomizing it um, with a hand that has some good backup because, you know, you have the straight and flush possibilities. That, uh, those aren't great straights and not great flushes, who so keep that in mind, but it does have good backup. So and in a tournament, I like raising with this here, a cash game. Again, I suck at cash games, so I don't know. I, I'd probably muck in the cash game because it's just going to get you in trouble. Um, and the other thing, it's going to be interesting to see how this hand develops, too, because of the setup with uh, uh, this player that doesn't seem to know what he's doing and is in every hand, uh, the 7-6 could be a trouble hand against that kind of player. So Yeah. All right, our hero says, as I said, last hand I rarely limp preflop in $11 as my standard raise preflop went first in in early position. This is a great balance hand from early position, and I'd be happy to play this hand heads up or multi-way. So I raised to $11. Uh, the hijack button and small blind call pot is $42 after the rate and the flop comes to seven of diamonds, six diamonds, four of spades, uh, and the small blind bets $15. Well, this is nice. Top two is nice. It is a wet board. Hard to imagine somebody has five, eight or five tray. Uh, but it's not hard to imagine somebody has a five. Um, you know, they could have a suited ace five of diamonds. They could have you know, a pair of fives, and now they're open-ended. So I I would like to take this down. There was 33 in the pot before that bet, roughly, without the, you know, break. And then, you know, what do you say, 15? So, you know, you're at $48. I, I, I think I probably bet pot here and at least get heads up with the guy. You know, and then you'd have, you'd have position on him, too. So if something really blanky comes on the turn, you could really put the hammer down. I mean, I, I know it's top two, and... Uh, we seem to analyze these hands like monsters under the bed because generally hands of the week come to us as losers. Um, but in this case, it's such a wet board. Somebody's already put some more money in the pot. We're getting away with murder here with playing these hands out of position like this. And now we're getting lucky that if we can raise, we might have position in such a 
early position spot, which is so wild. Um, and I know it's not every day you flop top two and you want to get paid off, but at the same time, it'd be one thing if you flop top two and a king was on the board and it wasn't as wet and it was three suits. But now it's two suits, three to a straight. Very possible that the person who was in the blinds had a five. You know, it could be five tray and they're just trying to, but we, you know, and he hoping we have an overpair and he's trying to make us go bust. That's something I might do. But in this case, I feel like we need to raise now and really get our answer. So I'm going to make it like pot. So whatever, 50 bucks. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and the reason more so is we've got two players behind us too. And I really want to price these people out of this pot. I mean, you know, when you, when you flop top two and it's a small top two, like this is here, uh, you got to play this really fast and add in the fact that there's diamonds out there, straight possibility out there. Uh, you got to play this super fast. And uh, you're right. I mean, we, we played under the gun plus one with seven, six. You know, we need to be happy with whatever pot we can get here and not, not go broke with it. So yeah. uh, definitely raising big here. At this point, I, I'm not too worried about the small blind. You're right. He could have a five or something. But the, the setup for him, you know, sounds like he's just completely unpredictable. And two Two pairs, pretty good here against that player. So if I can get heads up with him and, and he keeps firing away, I'm going to be fine with that. But I don't want to be in this hand any longer with four people. Yeah. Is it four? Because you said two callers. Well, how did that go? I forgot. Uh, hijack button and small blind call. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Or the fourth player. So, yeah. So, so then four. it's even more than that in the pot. There was 44 than in the pot. I was thinking it was three. So now there's even more. So I'm probably betting even more than that. I might bet like 55. So, yeah. All right. Uh, our hero says in honor of the late Mike Sexton, bingo, bango, bongo. Not only did I flop a well-disguised top two pair, but I have the overactive player showing interest in the pot. No sense in slow playing against this opponent, especially on a wet board. I raised to $50. In hindsight, I think I should have bet at least 60 since most runouts will shrink my hand strength by the river. Uh, so this is the best street to get value. Yeah. I mean, I said earlier, I said a little, I said about 50 because I thought it was three, three people in the pot, but I said 55 or 60 after that. So, yeah, 60 might be the right size. Although, again, another 10 bucks, you know, it doesn't seem – if someone's going to call for 50, they're probably going to call for 60. Yeah, but. I don't think it – I wouldn't I wouldn't lose sleep over that $10. Yeah, me neither. Happens. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, too, is this is kind of the reason that you like playing that 7-6 for that raise because it is disguised. I keep forgetting that. We were, we were – we spent all of our discussion about, uh, you know, the flush and straights and how, how um, – vulnerable our hand is but uh but you do have to remember that we raised another gun plus one so seven six should not be in our range there so um it, it's a good raise there because you're going to get somebody probably get the small blind to play back at you as well too which mm-hmm. is fine so yeah all right uh the button and small blind both call all right well that didn't quite work for us wow. <laughs> Pot's 192 now, and the turn is the Ace of Hearts. So our board now is 7 of Diamonds, 6 of Diamonds, 4 of Spades, Ace of Hearts, and the small blind bets 35. Jeez. It's so weird because in the blind, you're not putting him on a set, and he keeps betting into us even if we raise. That's got to send up some sort of flag to us. I mean... And again, a good player, if he's betting 35, that's a very fishy bet. This player, I mean, he sounds like he's all over the place, so I don't want to read too much into that. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, geez, I well, don't know. It's really tough, too, because this is what I'm talking about, the vulnerable uh, vulnerability of that, that two pair is, you know, now, I mean, anybody who has an ace might have an ace seven, uh, ace six, ace four, any of those hands would have stayed, maybe have stayed in, um, even with our raise on the flop. 
Um, so there goes our two pair at that point. Well, the one thing that's concerning or I think puts a little bit of a kibosh on that train of thought is we raised preflop and got called. I don't think someone is sticking around with six or four in their hand uh, and, or betting into us hitting a pair of sixes or a pair of fours to now have aces up. But it could be the seven. It could be the ace seven that you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the one hand. You know, the guy bets with top pair, but then we raise and he still calls and someone else calls. So clearly at least one person's on a draw, which seems to be the same thing every week. One person's right. on a draw. One person has a made hand. Is our hand better than the made hand? And can we hold off against the draw? So, yeah. Yeah. but that ace of hearts is what we were looking for when we said it. We said if something big comes on the turn that misses everything for us, we're going to put the hammer down. But the guy bets into us again. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's tough. And, and that's so, a, such a small bet. Yeah, the challenge now is, I mean, I think conventionally you'd probably just want to call here because you're cautious. But we have this other player in the hand. Yeah. I, I think that other player in the hand is the drawing hand. So $35 uh, now to win two, 220 after we call. I mean, that person's not going anywhere now. So we're just inviting him to outdraw us on the river if we don't raise here. Yeah. I don't know. Tough spot to be in now. Yeah, I mean... If I'm being honest, I'm probably just calling at the table because it feels like something's up and I want to mitigate my losses here and hope that I turn a seven or a six and even that might still not be good considering this guy has an ace. But um, I feel like I feel like the right move here is to raise. I feel like the right move is to make it like 120 or something and don't let the other guy drawing get there and stop this guy from you know, whatever he's trying to do. And then if he calls again and then checks the river, I check behind unless I made a obvious, yeah. you know, boat that I don't think he beat or whatever. But then you, you know, cause I, I would be will, I would, let's put it this way. If he had checked to me, I would have bet about a hundred anyway. So why not race that hundred and then try to get one guy out and see if this guy's like, all right, I was just fooling around and folds, oh, that's a good point. Yep, you know? Absolutely. So let's make it like 110, 120. Yeah. I think you're right. That's the proper thing to do. I, I think a lot of people would uh, just call here and hold on the white knuckles and hope that <laughs> that river is safe. But, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think you're right. The raise is, is absolutely the right thing to do here. All right. Our hero says, I'm still very likely ahead here. Since I have blockers to top pair hands, it's likely both my opponents hold one of the many draws on this board or possibly middle pocket pairs. A diamond draw with an ace is a likely holding, which means they just hit top pair. From my knowledge of the small blind, this small donk lead means he's interested but not very strong. I raised to 100. He says, this race is essentially what I would have bet had the small blind checked. Hey, look at that. Exactly what Chris did. So. Hey. Uh, the button folds. All right, that's good. That's what we want. And small blind calls, which is what we expected. Pots now 292. And the river is the queen of clubs. So our final board, seven of diamonds, six of diamonds, four of spades, ace of hearts, queen of clubs. And a small blind bets $35 again. Oh, jeez. All right, let's just call. You know, I mean, yeah, you want to try to extract as much as possible. And if it was Vic, he probably would read into this guy's soul and know exactly what to bet. But here, I'm just going to call 35 and be grateful that I won this massive pot with two cards that I probably shouldn't have played in this position anyway. If I lose, it's an easy, easy call for me, 35 bucks, and I just move on and learn what this player plays like. Um you know, I can't really make an argument for raising here because it's not like if this guy's bluffing, you're going to call it. And if he's not bluffing, you're going to lose. So you might as well just call it. And if he's stupid, you're going to learn that too. So 
I'm just going to call and be happy with the site. This is going to be a $300 pot. You know, it's 7.6. So let's just call. Yeah, it, for me, the, the call is more valuable than the money at this point because I want to see this hand. And yeah. that's the only guarantee to see this hand. We're calling the bet, so he has to show first. So we're going to see this hand. If we raise and he folds, we're not going to see the hand. Uh, if we raise, then we're the last aggressor, and he doesn't have to show. Um, I I really just kind of want to see what hand he was playing here. I mean, I do feel like uh, feel fairly confident we have the best hand. So in that sense, uh, our proper move is to raise. But uh, with player this unpredictable, I I think seeing those cards is, is is more valuable than the extra fifty sixty bucks or whatever we might be able to get out of them here. So it feels like four six, doesn't it? It feels like he's got because he's in the blinds. And it wasn't that much for him to call because it's a 1-3 game. So if he's in the big blind, it's like 8 bucks. But there's other limpers. So with four guys in the pod, he's thinking, eh, I'll take a flyer with you know a one-gapper. You know, I'm in the blinds. I got a one-gapper. And then he makes two pair, and he thinks it's still good the whole way. And that's why he's betting this way, but not enough to – because he's scared that we have like ace-king or ace-queen. You know, now on the river, we've hit two pair aces up. So I, it feels like it's two pair like us, but I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a straight, and he was just – Milking it the whole way, but I'm clearly calling. I am not. I am not confident in my hand at all. Yeah, and, and there is a possibility he has ace queen or ace seven or ace six. He has a hand. He, there's a possibility he has a hand that beats us too. Yes, yes. So I mean, that's another reason not to. But I, I just really want to see this hand. It's 292 bucks at this point. Uh, this is going to be a super nice pot for us with seven six out of position. Um, and if we get to see the hand, then then we'll we'll know better what he's doing going forward. So okay. All right, our hero disagrees with us. He says, I have to raise this. I'm not sure what I'd do here if I got re-raised, but my hand is too strong against his opponent still, and his donk bet looks a lot like he's trying to get to a cheap showdown. Uh, I guess my, my concern here is that admitting that I'm not sure what I'm going to do if I get re-raised. Yeah. And that, didn't, that needs to be part of your think, thought process, right? You need to have that figured out before you put this bet in here. And if you're going to fold it, then I, then I don't think you raise. The fact that we raised him before when he did this and he called, you know what I mean? It's like th- this guy has something and his something could be better than your something and you just can't know for sure. I do not want to open up the betting again. This is a big enough pot to be happy with. Just call and say, all right, all right. I, my instincts were to raise you and I didn't. I learned my lesson, but I'd rather learn my lesson that way than learn my lesson and have my stack gone. Yeah. Wow. All right. Hey, so he raises to $100. Our Opponent calls and shows the ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds, and we win a nice pot. My hero says he was stronger than I expected, but his donk blocker bets indicated that he was looking for a cheap showdown. Wow. So he had the flush draw on the flop, bet out, we raise him, he called, that makes sense. Turn as the ace, now he's happy, he bets out, we raise him, he calls, because he's thinking, hey, you were strong on the seven, but I hit the ace on the turn, so I'm probably stronger than you. Then the river comes, and he's like, okay, I didn't get my flush, but I'm going to try to set a price for myself to to get away with it. So it makes sense, I guess. Ace-10 makes sense. Yeah, but the only thing that doesn't make sense is he he set his price on the river and then called a higher price. Yeah, so yeah that's true, too. It's tough to imagine at that point uh, when this guy who raised from under the gun plus one preflop and then raised us every street now raises us again on the river – it's really hard to imagine that our ace weak kicker is good there. So, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of money in that pot, but that's another, you know, 65 bucks that yeah, that I think was wasted. Yeah. 
well, we did learn that he was unpredictable. So calling that <laughs> was unpredictable too, I guess, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, but again, I mean, he was stronger than we thought here, right? So, yeah. I mean, he hit the diamond draw with the ace and then the ace game. And so, you know, he, but his bets were weird for all those as well too. So. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what, the, what this information helps us with now, but you know, we got it and we got, we got an extra 65 out of him that, that you and I wouldn't have. So. Jeez. Score, score another one for John. Yeah, good for John to uh, to really recognize the value bet there and and to and to get more money out of the guy. To me, I would have I would have just called, but that's that's the beauty of being in the hand and being in the present with the people at the table versus us in black and white trying to do it without you know being in the moment. So good for him, and uh, I'm I'm eager to see uh, hands three and four from his session. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.